brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. And by Beneath, starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I've got a really special guest I'm thrilled to introduce to you guys. He is the co-founder and CEO of the Visionary Wealth Advisors and the host of the Circuit of Success podcast. Please welcome Brett Gilliland to the show. Hello, how you doing? I'm I'm hanging in, man. We're hanging in. We're we're living the life and and we're making it through. So I can't well, complain. That's good. I can't complain. That's good. Yeah. You're making a big impact so. for people out there. Well, we're trying. That's what we do. We try. That's all we can do. And so that's all that can be asked of us. As long as you're trying to do your very best, then I cannot complain. I'm super excited to have you on the show. We have been trying to get you on for a little bit, but due to circumstance, it just hasn't been working out. Fortunately, I got the opportunity to go on your show, The Circuit of Success, and I was very excited for that as you were one of my first podcasts that I got to go on that wasn't mine. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Got tons of good feedback too. Did you actually, was it like good feedback on your end and like never have her on again? Or was it like good feedback, good feedback? Yeah. They said, please don't ever let her back on your show. That was terrible. No, they said it was awesome. I people would. loved it. And I got tons of good feedback for real. I'm not just saying that it was, uh, I've heard num numerous people, you know, whether I'm at a kid's school event or whatever it may be. They said, man, I really like Kelsey. Great stuff. They loved your, uh, the five points of anxiety, how to get rid of that. And so that tons of stuff people took away. So it was good. Well, that's great. That's what I always hope is that if anyone's listening to our conversations, that there isn't just a, a takeaway in the swearing section, but there is a takeaway <laughs> in, in like some of the positive words that come out of my mouth. You know, I, like I said, when I spoke with you, I've done a lot of therapy and I like to hope that I can give any sort of little tips that maybe don't cost, uh, you know, people a bunch of money and years and years and decades of their That's lives right. listening to a therapist. So, so yeah, like let's it. get into it, man. I, I want to know, I got a lot of questions for you because when I hear a wealth advisor, all I think of is this guy's already loaded. This guy's knows how to make money. And this guy is going to advise me on how to become something like him. So <laughs> how did you get into wealth advising? Was that always in your family? Was that something that you learned in school or how did that all happen for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think um, it's one of those things I didn't know for sure what I wanted to do. But uh, my cousin, Dean, if he ever listens to this, I'll give him props. I, he's the oldest cousin. I'm the youngest cousin on my mom's side of the family. And I remember we went over, I was, like I said, I was probably around 15 years old when this happened. And we helped Dean move into his new house. And it was uh, on a golf course. And he had this gold, shiny BMW. And he takes me out to the car and the speakers are in the headrest. And he cranks the music up and I was like, I'm whatever he does. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and at that time they called him stockbrokers, you know? And so he was a ah. stockbroker. Yeah. So I was this, you know, young know, freshman in high school, punk kid, maybe eighth grade. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be the stockbroker. My dad was a banker. My uncle was a banker. My grandpa was a banker. 
So I'm familiar with that scene, right? And uh, but I just thought, you know what? I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a stockbroker. So uh, that's what I decided to do. I went to college, majored in fun. Uh, no, I had you know philosophy, economics, speech com, and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, so fun. Decided, yeah. So just got into it right out of college, and I've been doing this is my 20th year of being in the in the financial industry. Wow. So it's been good. But yeah, I guess it has been good. I mean, I've seen your office. I've I got, like I said, I've got the privilege to be on your Circuit of Success podcast and I've seen the watches you wear and then I'll just throw it out there. I'll call you out. I don't even care. No. I am impressed. You're impressive, right. dude. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging what you've worked for and that you try well, very you. hard in your life. So I wouldn't, don't be embarrassed. Yes. Um, when, when it became time for you to go to college. I want to know, was that something that was set for you? Was college expected of you? Or was that something that you chose to do or thought you had to do? Yeah, you know, I never thought about that until you just said that. But I, I think it was just expected. You know, we, we didn't talk about it. My parents didn't harp on my schoolwork. Um, you know, I, I, I jokingly said I majored in, in fun because I, I just, I knew I wanted to be successful. I knew I would be successful. I didn't know what the path was, but as an only child, um, you get bored a lot. And so I'm very creative and very entrepreneurial. And when I was a kid and I got bored, my, I would tell my mom or my dad, I'm bored. And they would say, you know, sit down in the family room. And my mom would get a TV tray. She would get bunches of pieces of paper. And my dad would be like, you know, draw your dream house. And I would literally write floor plans and draw these plans. And, you know, back when you're a kid, they had basketball hoops and swimming pools in them. And I just, I started dreaming big of what you, know, you could put into your house. And as a kid, that's what mattered, right? I wanted to do that. But, um, but I just think, yeah, I just, you're going to go to college. That's part of the deal. You're going to get this degree and then you're going to, you know, go off in the world and do whatever you go do. And, and that was it. So there wasn't a lot of talk about it, but I played golf competitively in basketball and baseball growing up. And then I, I chose to play golf uh, for a little bit in college. And, and I just, I went and that's what I did. Well, so let's touch on that. Cause I'm going to make fun of you now. Golf's a sport. <laughs> golf wasn't cool when I was playing and now everybody wants to golf. Well, damn it. Everybody wants to do it now. And I don't understand it because I've tried and all I end up doing is getting angry at the ball or throwing the tee. Nobody has taught me properly how to swing a tee, but I do know that the time I did do it, I actually let go of it. And, um, that was an embarrassing moment for me. And then I was like, well, this is bullshit. I'm not doing this anymore. Cause like, I, yeah, I try Listen, I love it. I love, I love the whole, it's funny that you did golf because I was, t I was telling Tally this, we were sitting, uh, actually somebody called me out on a podcast about it. It was they're like, that's the whitest rich shit I've ever heard come out of somebody's <laughs> mouth. And I'm like, I'm not right. even either. Like, what is this? But we went to a local, there's near my office, there's a local golf course. Um, not like crazy fancy, but like there's a nice golf course and they have a patio and, and it hit like the first sunny day in British Columbia. And I was like, beer on the patio. It's it golf course. Yeah. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite things to watch is uh, the outfits. And then we were just like watching these people walk with these carts that had like these automatic buttons that people could just let go. And one kind of took off going down the hill. And then there was this water there. And we were like, come on, go into the water. Come on, <laughs> Wreck. go into the water. Oh, it was, I, I, I get entertainment out of it. I've driven the golf carts. I've been on the scene of it. Um, I don't understand the the fun aspect of it but i love driving the golf carts i'll do that all day 
Yeah. It's funny when you, when your sport now is the cool sport, you know, in high school, it's like the football or, you know, again, I played basketball and baseball. So I played the quote unquote cool sports, but uh, yeah, but it's like, now it's fun because now all my buddies, they want to play my game. So then, and I, I love Mm -hmm. nothing more than talking trash and, and uh, that's a lot of fun to me and competitive and, well, you know, you got to give strokes if you're better than somebody, right? If you understand all that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I just, I just love it. And what I respect about it though, in the sports world is in golf. Now everybody has endorsements. So you know, none of these guys are hurting, right? Or gals are hurting. Um, yeah. They have their endorsements, but in golf, you got to show up and win every week to make That's money right. or do well, right? That's if right. baseball, you could be terrible and you signed a $15 million a year contract, you still get it. Whereas in golf, you got to earn it. It is insane. insane. It's absolutely insane, but you got to earn it in golf. So that's why I respect it. I respect it. I do respect it. I, um, there's a gentleman that I don't know him personally, but because of my husband's, uh, in the supercross industry, there's a gentleman that uh, crosses over and he's friends with a lot of people in that industry. And I believe his name is, uh, Oh my God, there it goes. He wears the bright color shirt. Um, Ricky Fowler, maybe, or I don't know. Yeah. Ricky Fowler. No, seriously, that's him. Um, and so he knows a lot of the similar people that we knew. And that was the only guy I knew that was young in golf and took, so I kind of started to watch a little bit of it and then I fell asleep. So then I gave up. Uh, yeah. My, my wife's the same way. She thinks it's the most painful thing on earth to watch, you know, but it, and it can be, it's pretty boring to watch on TV. I just like to play it. That's baseball. That's baseball for me. Yeah, I can't. I can't deal. But golf is a, a respectable sport. I think a lot of people, we were having this discussion. I think a lot of people golf because you can do it all your life. It's got a lifespan. Um, it in its in longevity of it's fantastic because it's not like somebody's gonna be crushing rugby at 80. Like it's just not happening. Yeah, you're not doing it. You're not gonna be yeah. you know field a soccer team. I know there's old guy soccer my buddies play, but it's not the same. But you know, I would say from a professional mm-hmm. standpoint too, like I take um, people were trying to recruit into the business advisors into a mm-hmm. golf course. I can tell a lot about somebody in five hours, right? You and I can oh, yes. sit and have a conversation for an hour in a, in a, in a formal setting like this, but I get you out and I feed you a couple you know things of beer and we talk and mm-hmm. it's, you know, I can see when you're playing bad, if you want to like me, sometimes I want to snap my club in half, but you, you can just tell a lot about somebody. So that's a fun side from the business side of using golf to our advantage as well. Well, I, that's, that's another thing I feel like works really well. And you bring it back to the business side is you see a lot of, uh, let's go on the tee, let's go golf, let's go have a business meeting and golf while we're doing it, because you see how people adapt and overcome search, certain situations or lack of adapt and overcome. And it tells you something very quickly. If you want to be in business with that person, because they're, if they're hotheads, if they're quick to react or they can't problem solve, well, it's a great entry point into finding out what that person is like. And I can respect the hell out of that. Um, when it comes to your advising company, so you said you had a father, a grandfather in banking and things like that. After you saw the crash happen in 2008, was that something that gave you pause for a moment for your career choice? You know, it didn't actually, it, it's so funny. You bring this up. I, I I'm a journal guy. I've, I've had a journal every, right. you know, every, every day, dang, dang near since August of 2005. And I was just looking at some old stuff and I wrote down in 2008, 2009, numerous times that we are choosing not to participate. And what I meant by that was I can set back in my office and say, poor me and the markets are bad. And, 
our clients are losing money and they were, and that, and that's really bad. But I, I said, let's get out in front of this. And instead of sitting here and saying, poor me, we go love on those clients more. We, we call them before they call us. And we just say, we're choosing to not participate. And then same thing, even in March of, you know, of last year of 2020, when things are going literally in the toilet so quickly, it's yeah. no, you outbound, make the phone call. Don't let your client call you because you're, they're worried. You call them and let them know it's going to be okay. It sucks in the moment, but it's going to be okay long-term. And that's that 08 and 09, you know, I'm sure you agree with this. You have some pivotal moments in your career that aren't great, but when you look back are, are really deciding factors of, of will the strong survive. And that really helped my career. I know a lot of our advisors and their careers on make a difference of who they were in the marketplace. It's interesting because people, you really find out a lot about somebody when the shit hits the fan, for lack of a better term. When, when things go sideways, when things, when I say go sideways, I mean, they go sideways. There's a difference when something bad happens in someone's day and how they, you know, affects their week. But when somebody really takes on and takes a hit, a financial hit that could cripple their entire life that they've worked incredibly difficult, you know, hard for and a difficult situation comes up there is that strong will survive or adapt or die. And I think that's really important when it comes to talking to people like you, because when all of that happened, people lost life savings, homes, the the homeless population skyrocketed, the suicide uh, epidemic spiked. There was a lot of people didn't see any other way out. Not to say those people were weak at all, not to discount that, but sometimes it will break somebody to the point of no return. And I, and I can understand that, but when you're the person that's going to be advising them on what to do or how to live their life or how to spend their money, how do you even talk somebody down from something like that? Yeah, that's it. And you know, we, again, we just did that, you know, 11, 12, 13 months ago, 14, you know, eight months ago, you know, we were yeah. doing that and people, I always say there's fear and there's greed when it, when it comes to people's mm. money, there's fear and there's greed. And the greed right, is, yeah. and you know, I'm not here to talk about different strategies or whatever, because I never know anybody's situation. So we have to be, you know, careful what we say on, on oh, forums well, like course. this. But but I think it's we we have to manage that emotion of the the two levers, the fear and the greed. Don't say we're trying to hit a home run, but also mm-hmm. let's not strike out. Let's let's try to play out in that middle somewhere. And I think uh, I always say everybody's got the Pandora's box, right? It's right here, it's your heart, it's not the head, it's your heart. And mm-hmm. a financial, a good financial advisor's job. And somebody in our firm would sit there and we have the, we want to get the key to the Pandora's box. And it's by asking great, great questions. It's finding out your goals, your dreams, your aspirations. And then when Mm -hmm. I know a a really deep understanding of those things, then I can apply that to when the market's going bad over here, Mm -hmm. how this plays out long-term for those goals and dreams over here. So then it's like kind of walking somebody off the ledge, right? It's, and I've never thankfully mm-hmm. had to do that, but that's in my, my analogy is just pulling you back and understanding it, hearing it. But again, imagine if you're calling me freaked out, I didn't do my job. I have to right. call you and let me tell you, Kelsey, why we're not freaked out. And let me give you this right. stat and that stat and that stat and what I'm seeing. And then based on your financial plan and you want that second home or you want to retire here and you want mm-hmm. to do this on this income, well, then if I've just already told you without you even thinking about it, you're going to be okay. It's tough. Mm-hmm. We don't like it. We don't like losing money, but you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And if we continue mm-hmm. to do A, B, and C, everything will work out. And I think that's the difference is we react 
versus we're, we're proactive versus reactive. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think the reason I ask about that, not asking for, you know, advice and stuff, but I think it helps my listeners get an insight into how it works. Because when you talk to somebody or you, you, you have the privilege, like I do, to talk to people like you who are founders of something that are, you know, way larger than themselves, that, that handle massive amount of money and are advising people on their life, I, I always find it interesting to ask those questions because it's almost like you're not only in a financial advisor, you've taken on a role of a psychologist and a psychiatrist yeah. for some of these people when it comes to their life. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And that's why I ask these things is not to pry, but it's to understand how the psyche works when it comes to dealing with finances. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I jokingly say that's why I keep the uh, box of, of Kleenexes in here. I mean, you'd be surprised <laughs> at how many people are talking about very important topics. I mean, our, our meetings are more about that stuff, the emotions, than it is about that stock did better than that stock. Now, again, that's right. very important, very critical, right? But it's, it's around what's important to you and what are the things that you're trying to build to be successful long term. Well, that's it. You guys are a big part of people's lives. You're not just a bank. You're, you're, you know, when I go to my bank, fortunately, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, I've had a family that's been with a certain bank for dear God so long that right. we get a little bit of extra privilege. And I walked into that and I, I learned very quickly the difference between working with a bank like that and working with a bank as a regular consumer. And if only the rest of the public got the attention and the love that uh, this part of the bank gives, I feel like so many more people would be on a better path because they'd be yeah. educated. And I think that's what it comes down to is people aren't educated how to handle their money. The way that we work in our world and our schooling systems, and I'm not quite sure if it's the same down in the States because you are American, but up here, there is no teaching or education on how to handle your money, how to invest your money, how to have life skills that are really going to be the make or break for you as you move on in your life. Yeah, we don't have it either. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that if I had a magic pen and paper that I would say there's certain classes I would probably pull out of the education system right? and add, I mean, as little as how, what is a balance sheet? You know, what is a, what is a net worth, right? What I have minus what I owe is my net worth. And as simple as that may be to you and I, it's not simple to everybody else. And we don't teach that how to balance a checkbook, how to understand, you know, I was oh. talking to one of our clients sons today, who's 21 years old. And, 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 you know, I was talking to them because we want to help that next generation. We have our very successful right. clients and we want, but if we're choosing to be there, we're all in with the family. Mm -hmm. And so it's educating this 21 year old man on how you should save money every month. And it's just, yeah, I'm, I could go on and on about that. This is financial literacy month, the month of April of 2021 here. And so it's, it's one of those things we're trying to educate as many people as we can, because it's so important. Well, that's why I like talking to you too, because you understand it from a different perspective. You get it from what it's like from a family perspective. You've seen it from having intergenerational, not even wealth, but intergenerational education in finances yeah. rather than somebody just walking out of the gate and going, what do I do with all this money? You see that with athletes, right? You see, I've seen that in my husband's sport with Supercross where these guys are on top. They're making seven figures. They're you know, women all around them. It's party, party, party. And then all of a sudden they're not producing at the races. They're not making the money. They don't have it, but their X, Y, and Z spend is over here. And yeah. the next thing you know, they're living on people's couches. Like I know guys, I won't say names that were top of the world, super oh, yeah. champions and they are broke as shit. Yep. 
Yeah, we see like, it all the time. I mean, I, I used to be, I, I used to be the uh, through the NFL uh, when the St. Louis Rams were in St. Louis, not in LA. Mm -hmm. I would go speak at their uh, camps, and I would speak, and you'd know, be a whole room full of all these football players. And you know, as a skinny golfer guy, it's intimidating when you get all these football <laughs> players. But you, you know, you speak, and I'd I'd draw on a, on a white erase board, you know, a million dollars, and then I would take take out what they owe for their agent. Cause I got to pay their and agent their taxes first. And, and then your else. taxes. And then here's what's left. And they're like, wait, what? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't go as far as you think it does. And it's just sad no. that our world is that way that we don't educate people more. And I think we'd all have better savings rates and less debt and, and a heck of a lot mm -hmm. more fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating to watch, um, to watch it happen. It's the only thing I can hope for is that maybe the education system will finally catch up with the 21st century and start realizing that these things are important for our young youth to come up. I know just my son, he is almost five. I'm already going, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that this kid understands how to live his life and not just what the school system has told him to live? Because frankly, uh, there is no hope if he walks out of that system. I mean, that kid is is going is going into society blind. And I I personally had a situation like that when I came home from overseas. I got all this tax free money. And I was yeah. 19 years old. That shit was gone so fast. My head spun. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's it's a sad situation when we leave people with all these finances and no way to control them properly. It's it's an interesting thing to look at. I, I want to move on a little bit to how you kind of got into not only we understand how, you know, our listeners understand how you became a wealth advisor. We understand, you know, the, the family ties to it. And so that makes a lot more sense to me as to, hey, why would you want to be in the stock market? It, that looks yeah. terrifying. Um, <laughs> in the, the family ties, my dad and then they were bankers, right? Which is completely different yeah. than, than being an investment. But I, I wanted to be able to talk about dreams. Sorry to interrupt, but that, mm. that's really what I wanted no, to do was no. talk about dreams and, and those things versus just handing money out, uh, which is a, you know, a great thing. I love bankers and, you know, love my family and the banking ties, but I think my dad even showed me a vision bigger than that, that you could go out and really impact the world at a much higher level, but you still got to go out and do it. Nobody wants to talk to a well, 23 year old kid. I was 23 years old out of college and you know, I could, you know, I jokingly said I couldn't even spell investments. And and so then right. I, you know, had to go out and find all these clients. Well, that's it. How do you, how do you convince your 23? How do you convince a guy in his fifties who's got millions of dollars in investments that you're the right choice for him? Uh, practice, practice, practice. And then mm -hmm. I fell, I had a very successful first year in the business um, by dumb luck. You know, a couple of 50 year old people did believe in me. And therefore I had this great first year. Well, my second year being an advisor, I learned that you have to work your tail off. And what I said earlier about bad years can be your best years. My, mm -hmm. my best year was my worst year financially and from a getting new clients. It was terrible. And what I learned was I was trying to be this guy, you know, I had my suit and tie on and I was trying to talk mm -hmm. like this and be very scripted and, well, this guy said this and that guy said that. And so anyway, um, that's, that's what it was. And then I found if I just take the older guy, we used to call him the gray haired guy. Now I'm that guy. Uh, if I could take the gray haired guy with me and I would just sit there and shut up and I would listen to what he would say and how he would talk to those clients. And then I would just take notes because I knew he was taking notes on, on the client. I was taking notes on what he was saying and when he was saying it and why he was saying it. And then I started, and then I would practice and I would practice, practice, practice. And 
think about being in a client meeting and I would role play with another young advisor. And I would do that literally all day, every day until mm -hmm. it just became natural, right? To who I was. And then it became natural. And then when you, you, when you know your thing, your craft, people buy that no matter what your age right. is. So I always say age doesn't matter. And when I walked in with passion and energy and a desire to succeed, and I knew what the heck I was talking about because I was, I, I'd practice, I knew everything was going on in the markets or whatever. That's what, that's what people trust me. They're like, I don't know what it is about this kid, but I like him. Right. And right. then they would, I, they become my clients. That's fantastic. It seems like it's not, it's not just the education system and the way that you were trained, but it seems like a lot of that comes from you. Sounds like it's a lot of it is an internal drive. And that is not something that everybody is blessed with or has to learn. They have to figure it out. And for you, do you think any of that had to do with being an only child and having that focus from your parents? Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, I, I was blessed, you know, my dad being a banker, we had a, I had a nice life, right? I, I didn't want mm -hmm. for anything and I got to do the sports I wanted to have and or play and, you know, but I, I, I was around other people. And I think that, you know, mm -hmm. again, being blessed with that, I, I, I saw success. And, and I think right. when you can kind of see that, that, that can give you a little glimmer of, I want that in my life. Now on the flip side, I know plenty of people that have been around success and they just thought, oh, it just, it just happens and they didn't work for it. And then they don't have it. So at least mm -hmm. somehow, and I think my wife had a lot to do with that as well, is that that work ethic that I had to put in and what I had to learn is if you want that thing, right? You mentioned watches, mm -hmm. what, whatever the heck your thing is to the listener, you got to want it, but you also got to go get it. And that's my circuits of success. One of them is actions. You got to take action. I had to pick up the phone. I had to do things that other people don't want to do. And, and there's this common denominator of success that successful people do what unsuccessful people aren't willing to do. And they build the habit of doing that, right? And so I just right. had to build the habit that if I knew what I wanted, which is, I think, very important, I knew what I wanted. I, I knew I wanted, you know, my wife at that time, she was my fiance at the time. And then it was, I knew we wanted to have family. I knew I wanted to provide the opportunity if she wanted to stay home and, and raise children that we could do that. She didn't have to do that, but I wanted to be able to provide that. That was very important to me. Um, I wanted this certain thing. I wanted to donate this much money, whatever it was. Uh, I knew I was crystal clear on what I wanted and still am and write it down. And I don't put it in a drawer and forget about it. I read it all the time. So it has something to do with manifesting for you. Writing is a manifestation for you. Yes, 100%. Because we all have self-defeating thinking. I mean, what I'm not telling about the story is I was the kid that grew up vomiting before basketball games and getting sick before a big meeting in a, in a big building in downtown St. Louis in Missouri. You know, we live in the Illinois side, but down in St. Louis in the city, I'm going to go see this Mr. Attorney, this Mr. Big Shot. Well, you know, when you grow up in the States, it's doctors, attorneys, they're the big shots, right? And mm -hmm. so then I built this nervous system up to where I would literally throw up, like literally as a, as a, in a suit, I would throw up in a water fountain in the building because I was so nervous but I just kept having to fight through that. And so that, mm -hmm. that's that for me, that's been, I know you talk about the mental side on your show here a lot is mm -hmm. for me, that anxiety, that mental side was something I've had to battle and get through and still do uh, to this day. When you were dealing with this and you first started to experience that type of anxiety and that type of overwhelming, just uh, your nervous system before these meetings. And like you said, you vomited, was there something or a strategy that you found worked that worked better for you 
later on in life, once you started to realize, okay, this is debilitating. Like I can't continuously do this. I mean, you must've been dropping weight, walking into meetings, like it's going out of style and you're not a big dude. You don't really have a lot to lose. (laughs) Yeah. For some reason I wasn't losing weight. I was just kind of staying status quo. Right. But it, it, but uh, in, (laughs) I'm very lucky, I guess with my genes, but, um, you know, I, I've learned a lot. I mean, my God, this could be a five-hour podcast. I mean, what I've learned through that stuff. And so, um, it, it, literally, and this is going to sound so dumb, but my friends know this. I have, if if I reached in my pocket here, you'd find two pieces of gum, and it's the same gum. It's it's not different gum. It's the same gum every time. I've got, you know, the 150 thing that you can pour out. Mm-hmm, I've got two mm-hmm. of those in my car. I've got one in my bag over there. I've got one at home. I've got one in my wife's car. That's my blankie, you know, as I've learned ah. of working through this, that's my blankie. I, I've got water. You, you will see a water bottle around me at all times. That's my other blankie, right? Is if I get yep. nervous, I get anxious. I know that's kind of like a reset for me. I can either got throw it. in the gum. If I'm talking to somebody like this, obviously I just can't throw in a piece of gum. So, you know, you've mm-hmm. got the, the water as my blankie. And so I've learned those things that over time, and I learned that being sick wasn't good. And my wife looked me in the eye one time and just said, you've got to stop this. Like you can't, yeah. and that, that's tough love, right? You can't just continue to throw up throughout your life. And it wasn't like I made myself sick. I mean, I wasn't putting my finger in my, I mean, none of that, but it literally was getting so bad. Like it had nowhere to go, but out. And, yeah, and that's, that's, that's what would happen. So, but just, I think I've learned to embrace the anxiety. I talk trash to it. It's become my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned to just embrace it. It doesn't go away. Somebody said that the other day, they're like, isn't it great that you got through it? I'm like, you crazy? I'm like, <laughs> I could be at a random spot where you shouldn't be anxious at all. And all of a sudden I feel like my heart's going to jump out of my chest and I'm anxious. It just, right. it just happens. And you can't, nobody, unless you go through it, you can't explain it. Nobody gets it. Well, it's one of those uh, instances where the body does what it's going to do. And you can either learn to fight the nervous system or you can let the nervous system fight you. And anxiety is one of those tricky, tricky, tricky things because we don't understand the brain enough. We don't understand. We still are mapping the brain and it'll take, oh my God, it's going to take forever for us in, in the medical world to understand what that is. What we do understand is there is a, there are medications for everything, but right. I, what I know of you, you're not the guy that's going to start popping pills because it's going to numb you. It's going to cloud you. It's going to you know really fog that judgment for you. And that could be debilitating for your clients yeah. and yourself. Yeah. When you, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I've never taken a, I've never, ever tried medication. I I look at that as some people have it way worse than I do. Right. So I get it. There has to Mm -hmm. be medication. I understand that. I support that. But for me, it wasn't the right move because I'm like, I felt like for for my situation, that was a bandaid. I wasn't getting to the root problem and I wanted to figure out the root problem. Well, that, that right there shows the type of person you are. You could have easily taken the pill. I mean, listen, there are medications. I was on them for 10 years and I, I have no, there's no shame in taking them. But what I do know right. now after being off them and being clear enough to understand is that if I was given different tools and we've had this discussion on your show, when I, if I was given different tools or educated in a different fashion, I might have, or maybe we don't know, been able to handle that better without, you know, clouding my judgment, you know, really the medication just changed who I was in such a drastic manner. And it took a lot of my life away from me. All of my twenties, I was, I was this person because I was on these drugs and I call them drugs because 
there's a difference between things like cannabis and ayahuasca and DMT and those and psilocybin. Those are not drugs. Those are met. That is medicine. That is strictly medicine. When you're talking about drugs, you're talking about pharmaceutical drugs that are compounded and turned into these things and shoved down people's throat because we don't teach them the coping mechanisms to live your life. When we are now in a society where we're constantly bombarded by things and stimulus, no wonder people have chronic anxiety and depression. How could we not? It just is. Um, So for me, when I talk to you and I see that you have, I don't even want to say overcome, but you have learned to live a life healthy and cope with your anxiety. When you have learned to do that, what I think the biggest takeaway from that is it's possible. It's just possible. And that is so okay to have those moments where you have to sit back and go, okay, I can't live my life like this. I can't continue to vomit every time I walk out of my house. I mean, you would fade away. Simple as that. You just would. It's no different than an eating disorder. When you constantly harming your body in that manner, you cannot, you cannot expect your body to perform at its, at its top. And when you're dealing in the business that you're dealing with, or you're playing the activities and sports that you are, that's just not an option. I mean, going to tee off every hole, vomiting on every hole. I mean, (laughs) as entertaining and hilarious as that would be for many people, that's debilitating for you, period. Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it, yeah. Yeah, 100% yeah, right. All right. So yeah, like we were talking about here, when it comes to your anxiety and things like that, what have you found that has helped you besides your gum and your water? Like you, you mentioned your wife to me before, and I think that's important to bring up because when you are talking about a family member, you're talking about your support system and you're talking about that person that is there for you to give you the hard the hard judgment, you know, Hey, Brett, you can't do this anymore. You can't live your life like this anymore. So what is it that she has supported you in and how has she supported you with this anxiety disorder? Yeah, I think it's, she has always been there from a, from obviously love support, kindness. I mean, all that I could ask for, but also the tough love of when I need to hear something to tell me that that Mm -hmm. most people in my life don't do that, but she does. I mean, she's the best at it. And so if, if she thinks I need to step up and, you know, as I'm having uh, you know, we're having our first child and she's laying in the hospital bed and I'm a nervous wreck and people are asking me if I'm okay. She's like, you got to get your shit together. (laughs) Like in a fun loving way, but it's like, you know, she's the one having the baby here, but no, it's just this fun, um, but, but this support man, that I just know I've got that I can believe in my dreams and still go out and make it happen and, and helping me step outside my comfort zone and believe in myself. And, and how long have you been with your wife now? Uh, gosh, 23 years. We married 20 years this October. Oh my goodness. So you've, you've had a support system for quite a while now. Yes. Yeah. Very blessed. Yeah. That's important because I think when we're talking about dealing with disorders and we're dealing with anxiety or depression, I think it's incredibly important to talk about those that are around you and who you surround yourself with. There are plenty of people that say they're supportive or they have support, but then when you really break it down and you really look at what they're dealing with and how much they've got on their plate, it's often not enough or it's not honest enough support that can be given to you in a way that can direct you to be a healthier person. So when you talk about your wife, and this may be personal, did you find that that anxiety at any point was something that was harder to overcome without her? 
No, I think actually, uh, I've never, ever thought about this, but it's, I think it was easier to overcome because I knew she supported me no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't overcome it, it wasn't like she was going to run for the hills, but it was like, at the same time, she believed in me, which gave me belief that I could get over it. And I actually went, uh, you know, went public with it. Uh, using air quotes, if you're listening, I went public with a group of guys at a, at a business meeting. We're on this retreat and, you know, talking about our long-term plans. And, and I had hid this for years, you know, like my close friends knew my, uh, you know, family knew, um, obviously my girlfriend, fiance, now wife at that time knew, but nobody else knew it. Like nobody in the business world knew that about me. They just thought, you know, I was this calm. I would say I'm like a duck on the water, right? You look smooth, but you're, you know, crazy underneath it. And, and I came clean, if you will, with these guys and I have not thrown up since then. And that was August of 2006. And it was yesterday. Now the anxiety didn't go away, but that, that nervousness where I had nowhere to go, but out, it went away because I literally felt like, okay, I'm, I'm being, uh, truthful for who I am. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I'm letting other people know that I respect uh, and look up to. And now they know my little secret, my secrets out. And you know, what's funny, mm-hmm. Kelsey's the, the more people I've told and I, I, you know, 10 years ago, Brett wouldn't be doing this on a podcast right now, but the more people I've told the deeper relationships I have, the more people that come up to me and say, Hey, I deal with this too. You never would know it, but it sparks this conversation and it happens. Right. And you, trying to make a big impact on people. Well, mental health is a mental mental health is tricky because it is uh, it's it's similar to something like in the military. So PTS is like a big thing. PTSD, people know it for most. Um, I I try to say PTS because I don't believe it's a disorder. I believe it's an injury. So PTS is one of those things that it is a very non-visible situation. Anxiety is non-visible. Depression is often non-visible, depending on obviously the level and severity of it. You can tell somebody that's struggling based on their outward appearance for most, but if it's, if it's a, you know, a start of something or it's new, or they're learning how to cope with it, I, I don't understand why mental health needs to be this hidden thing in people's lives. It feels like we society has made us up until very recently, if I may say, has made it seem like this shameful, fearful, you can't be successful. You can't have a loving relationship. You can't, you can't have children if you are X, Y, and Z. And to see someone like you take it and almost utilize it and turn it on its head and say, this is actually something that is, makes me who I am. This makes me the strength that I am. This is something I had to overcome. When you give somebody and you tell a story about overcoming something, it not only brings uh, a light to, to the situation and yourself, but it gives you that opportunity to then hopefully help somebody else who thinks that they're doing this all on their own. When in reality, that's just so far from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, as a man, it's, it's, also people could look at it. It's getting better, I think now, but it's, it's looked at as weak and, and I'm a competitive, right? competitive freaking person. And I now want to say I'm successful despite my anxiety right. or whatever the heck we want to call it. Right. This little friend that said shotgun over here with me. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to say I'm successful and trying to make an impact, even though I have to go through that stuff. Right. In spite of rather than, yeah. rather than. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful thing when somebody finally grabs a hold of that, that anxiety, that depression, that thing that is holding them down and pulling them down. 
Um, I learned a lot recently doing an experience that I'm now just openly starting to discuss with people because I think there's such value in it. And I went and got the opportunity to sit with the medicine and sit with mother ayahuasca and sit and have these conversations with her over a four day period. And it was incredible when an entity or a deity, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to say, whatever, whatever you want to judge it as it was incredible when she was able to set me outside of my body and look, let me look in the face of what anxiety and depression and PTS really is. And it's, it's an interesting thing when a normal I say a normal person, but truly who, who the hell's normal? What even is normal anymore? Right. <laughs> when, yeah. like, I mean, honestly, what is the definition of normal nowadays? We're in 2021. I feel like everything is just everything. Nothing. There is there. Yeah, it's, 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 there's just nothing when you're able to actually sit there and see it. Um, you realize really quickly that we're all connected and that we all have our own demons and our own ways that we struggle in and out. I love seeing so much the honesty and openness that you have towards the struggle that you have been through it throughout your life, not only because you're a successful person in spite of, or despite, you know, having this, you're a successful person because of the type of person you were raised as. And I think that's really important to talk about when you have supportive systems around you, they are able to create a supportive person, a supported person, a supported person believes in themselves and has positive self-talk and has all of these great, you know, journaling and coping mechanisms. But when you have somebody who is not given any of those, who is not taught any of those coping mechanisms, you get a very different type of person. It doesn't mean that person's any less successful at what they do. It just means that they're not coping with it. And eventually that's a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. Now that you have children, what is the difference between how you discuss anxiety and depression and those types of mental health issues with them versus the way you had to cope with it learning on your own? Yeah, I think now today's world, it's more normal, right? I don't know how normal it was for my parents. God love them. I'm sure they're going to be listening to this. So hi, mom and dad. But yeah, I don't think you want your kid to be a vomiter, right? I don't think they want to be on vacation with family. And you know that it, any between now, but leaving and in the parking lot, you know, my cousins always had fun with me, you know, when they knew, oh, Brett's just going to throw up. Like it just became a joke, it's funny, right? <laughs> it's not funny, but it is funny. And we joke about it now. Right. And even some of my friends, I'm going to be with some of my best friends in the world tomorrow. And, and like, you know, we, we joke about that stuff that I would throw up before anything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, it's funny now, but the time it made it worse because then I was like, Oh my God, don't get, don't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't get, you know, and I'm on this like wheel and it's like, well, no wonder you're going to get sick. And, uh, so yeah. So, but I think now with my kids, I know how to embrace it. And luckily really probably only one struggles with it. Like I not, and he's not anywhere close to where I was. Um, Mm -hmm. but instead of just being like, it'll be okay. Talk about it embrace it. It's okay. It makes us different. It's cool. You know, and and I've learned to deal with it that way. Because as a parent now being a parent that I'm going to say still struggles with it, but like you do, like you say, you you don't ever get over something like that being as a parent now and having that, do you find that when you opened up to your children about your anxiety, that it opened up a different line of communication that maybe you wouldn't have had? Oh yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you're, again, I think most people don't want to have that happen. My, my son doesn't want it to happen, but now he knows he's got a safe place that we can chat about it and talk about it. 
that's really beautiful and, because you have girls, right? No, all boys. So it, you know, not that boy girls even different, but I mean, you know, boys don't want to be weak or your buddies make fun of you or whatever. Yes. But there's, there's a, the reason I say there's a difference and, and it's not, and oh my God, you how many boys? You said four, right? Four boys. Yeah. So you're like, let's just keep going. Eventually we'll get a girl or was four <laughs> always in the, was always in the books there for you. We always said four and they just, all the boys just kept coming. Oh my God. That I have one boy and we tapped out. Like we got husband snipped. Like we tapped out. We were like, <laughs> What is done? That is enough. Oh my God. That guy breaks me on a daily basis. So congrats to your wife for that kind of mental strength because I'm telling you, imagine a 400 X of that deal. Nope. No, thank you. Nope. I deal with one. One's enough. That's more than enough for me. I am good. Thank you. But when (laughs) the reason I, I, I ask if it's boys and girls, because it gets a little trickier with girls, right? If you're talking about things with them, um, when it comes to anxiety and depression, girls run into that. Like if the girls are vomiting, that's a different conversation very yeah. often. That's, that's a very different, very tricky conversation. But with boys, you get a different type of difficulty. You get the, I don't want to be seen as weak. I don't want to be seen as the kid that's, that's not strong. The boy that's not fully a man because he can't handle his emotions. Like you get a lot of that. And that's why I ask because it's important for our children to know that they have a safe space. But you and I both know that's not the reality for most. No, you're right. It's, and I think especially during, and forget the anxiety for a second, but just schoolwork with this pandemic, oh. I mean, you're going to see a huge divide in, in people's school that may come from people like they're listening to this show or you and I, that, you know, you're going to spend that extra time with your kid. And mm-hmm. unfortunately so many people are not, and that, that really, really, really worries me uh, for our countries, you know, Canada, for the United States, everything uh, for what's to come. I'm genuinely terrified for the mental health issues that we are imposing on our children on a regular basis. And that a lot of people, I've had these discussions. Um, I want to touch base a little bit on that since it's a relevant topic, if you're comfortable having this um, discussion about COVID very briefly, because I, it's not about whether you believe in it or you want the vaccine or you're not. I don't give a shit about that. That's your choice. That's your personal choice. Do what you want with your life. I don't care. What I, I take when this is where I, I take issue and I get my back up about things is when you're forcing children um, and you're terrifying them. You are you are truly putting adults issues into children's minds. And I'm going to bring up a situation because it happened yesterday and I wasn't there, but my husband was He took my son to a park. OK, my son, I will not put a mask on my son. My son is four. If you tell me to put a mask on my son, I will throat kick you because he is a child who literally can breathe fine, who has no underlying conditions, who doesn't spend a lot of time with other people unless it's his bubble. So suck it. Secondly, there was a kid at the park who was, I'm not joking. My husband said between two and three, he had a mask on in the heat. Okay. Running around a park. When my son went up to him, cause my son is very outgoing. He is very friendly and he wants everybody to be his friend. And it is honestly the most beautiful, innocent thing I've ever seen in my whole life. So to watch this happen is soul crushing. This kid kept putting his hand out, telling him to stay six feet away from him. This is a two-year-old, a two-year-old. That means that those parents have terrified that two-year-old so much. My husband said, I wanted that mother to come up to me and tell me to keep my kid away from him. So I can say, I hope you're saving your money because the amount of therapy you are about to pay for is astronomical <laughs> for right. the damage you have done to that child's brain. Oh, that's funny. Oh, 
Oh man, I don't, I know what's going down in your States and I, and every state is different, but Canada is, we are living in the world of the Hitler youth. And I don't say that lightly. I say that with a very big, big severity. We have now closed every province border where you can be arrested. They can check our papers at any time. They can come to our property, go on to our property, ask us what we're doing, why we're doing. And if it's not a valid excuse to them, then we can be arrested. Wow. Um, the vaccine is not being spread out. It's uh, people over 70. We're not going to be vaccinated for God knows how long. And they've been shutting us down so significantly that the economy of Canada is crashing and burning. And when I say it's crashing and burning, even my company is taking a massive hit. When I say a hit, I mean, we are month to month because of the way our government is running everything. So the mental Jeez. health implications that we have now imposed on our children by giving them adult problems into children all the way down to two years old is frankly disgusting, despicable, and one of the worst, uh, worst, worst things we could be doing to our youth. So when I ask you about COVID, I want to know how you are talking to your children about this. Oh, that's a very good question. You have a lot of good questions, Kelsey. Um, I think, man, I'm not just a pretty face, Brett. That's Give right. Me some more credit. God. That's right. I'm sorry. No, um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't, we know it's real, right? It's real. There's people, I mean, I have a fraternity brother in people college. Died. His dad died, right? It's real. It, it sucks. Yes. It's real. I had it and I had it and I was, and I'm a fairly good shape person and it, it knocked right. me down for a, a while and mm -hmm. could only walk upstairs. It felt like for six weeks. And I mean, so it was real. Um, but you know, we, we, so we send our kids to a school that have been in school since day one. And, and I say day one, they, they took off basically March of last year. Cause nobody knew, right. We didn't know what the heck was going on. So I get that. Right. And then in August of 2020, they went full-time um, school and have been in school every day in our school, our leadership, the families, everybody's done a phenomenal job. Now they wear a mask all day at school. I get it. You got to do it. How old are your um, children though? What's that? How old are your children, though? Uh, the ones that are in this school are seventh grade, uh, uh, fifth grade, and first grade. And they wear masks it, in first grade at your school? All day. All oh, day long. Oh, buddy. Oof. Yeah. So, you know, I, and I'm not a guy that, like, I can, I went down, I, I went down stairs for lunch today and forgot my mask and i'm like oh boy uh you know right. and i didn't i didn't wear it and but i also you know so anyway long story short as i think we are telling our children that it's real but yet you have to live your life and you mm -hmm. can't um live scared of what you you see and read and hear and but mm -hmm. we also are people that don't turn on the television like i i literally yeah I mean, other than for my business, right? For what makes Correct. our world work, the, those like I know what's going on in the business world, so I don't want somebody to hear this and be like, "Oh my god!" Like outside <laughs> of that you world, keep, you keep in touch with what's necessary. Yeah, I don't watch political uh, COVID. I mean, I turn it off. We don't. I mean, literally, the television is not on in our home. I mean, I don't even know why we pay the three hundred bucks a month or whatever it is to have cable, but we have it. Right. <laughs> and, but we don't watch TV. We don't. And we, we want to go outside and be with our kids and our family and our friends. And, and I'm, I'm passionate about that stuff and then just eliminate the noise. So we don't get into right. this is right. This is wrong. That's wrong. This is right. It just go live your life, be a good person, give back to mm -hmm. others. If you see a kid that needs played with on the playground because he's sad, go play with that kid. If you right. know, don't, don't make fun of somebody. That's what we want to do. And, 
And if, you know, if I got to wear a mask for my kid to not be at home for nine months, then freaking so be it. I'll wear a mask so my kid can go to school yeah. every single day. Yeah, we have it up here. It's very interesting. My son, I'm very privileged to have my son in a program he's in. He goes to an outdoor preschool. So oh wow, what that means is I'm a hippie. Simple. He goes <laughs> to right. the woods for like seven hours a day. He learns how to build fires and cut wood and use a knife. And he looks after horses and cows and chickens and bunnies and he learns That's life skills, awesome. real things. Yeah, he's a little dirt ball at the end of every day, but I love every minute of it right. because he is learning uh, life skills that are invaluable. And, you know, I'm very fortunate because our teachers, because he's outside, they understand there's no need for a mask while you are outside. We are yeah. very fortunate to have that mindset. Unfortunately, we live in a society that doesn't. And um, I guess the reason I bring it up is because I think it's important to talk about the mental health of our kids. And, and why I brought it up is because you understand the impl implications of what and how damaging something can be for our children uh, growing up with something like that, if you're not educated on how to handle it properly. And so I really appreciate your take on how you have your children exposed to this. You're not making adult issues, their problem. You're letting them know if somebody's still struggling, you can still help them. This isn't, this isn't the black plague. They're not, they're not going to cough on you and die. Like if you're right. healthy enough, for the most part, you're going to survive this. You've had it. I've had it twice. I'm a super spreader. I brought it from China. I'm very clear and open about that. I visited my factories last year in January. I got home on the 10th. They closed China down on the 15th. I was debilitated from it. It buckled me. I was in bed. Wow. They had no test. They're like, you have severe pneumonia. We don't even know what this is, but that's what you have. I couldn't walk up the stairs like you. The second time I had it, didn't know I had it. Lost my taste and smell. Was pissed off because I couldn't taste my food. That was about the extent of it. Um, so there are obviously varying, varying situations for everybody. Some people predisposed have very hard times with it. But I think it's important to acknowledge the mental health of our children. Unfortunately, I don't believe that any of our governments are looking at the severity of what it is doing to our upcoming society and what that is going to do for the fear based um, that they are shoving down everyone's throat. So I, I appreciate your uh, acknowledgement of, you know, looking at it from a from an open and honest perspective and, and, you know, doing what's necessary to keep their kids running. So you have to wear a mask. So you wear a mask. Unfortunately, uh, up here, if you literally leave or you're in the building or you're doing anything, or if you're just driving in your car, like most dickheads, you wear your mask because you are so afraid of the fear that's been shoved down your throat. I love that you don't turn your TVs on and you don't expose your kids to the news like that. That's so... <laughs> Oh, damn it, doing on so many levels. And I know that because I've done that to myself. The 10 years I got out of the military, I turned it on every morning. And I learned the difference very quickly when I stopped turning it on. I stopped being afraid of everything. And yep. it's not that I keep my head in the sand because trust me, when I say I still carry a knife, I still know what's going on. And I'm still very aware of everything that's going on. But I also don't shove it down my child's throat. Yep. Um, when it comes to your business and COVID, that's something I wanted to talk about a little bit briefly, if you don't mind, because you did run into a scenario again, where you had a similar thing like 2008, where you were learning how to do this. It almost seems like if you're going to be a wealth advisor, you have to go to school to be a psychiatrist, like a psychiatrist, psychiatrist, any of that. Bringing that back, do you find that because you were able to, because you had, I don't, I don't want to say this is a benefit at all, but because you suffered from anxiety the way you did, do you find that you have better techniques in talking clients down or you understand a client's anxiety on a different level? And that's what makes you so successful. You've been in people's shoes before. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe so. I think that, uh, I mean, in probably like anybody that's been on your show, I mean, I'm a pretty transparent person. And I think mm-hmm. that, that I have learned over 20 years professionally that when you are transparent with other people, they become transparent back with you. And if I'm going to have a relationship where I'm sitting down with, you know, use you as an example, if I'm sitting down with you and your husband and I got to pretty darn quickly ask about how much money do you have and, and how much money do you make? Like those are pretty personal questions that you don't just on a weekend say, Hey, Sally, how much money do you make? Right? Like that's not a fun question to sit there, but I've spent my whole professional life asking people about how much money they've got. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, but I, what I found is when I can be transparent and vulnerable with them about things and share what I've done financially, I don't, I don't talk numbers with people, but I'd Mm -hmm. say I've done this or I've done that. I have found Mm -hmm. the more open they are, and they trust you that you've got their best, uh, you know, their, their, their best stuff at, at, at mind and at heart and they share with you. So, yeah, I think that is. But I've also spent a ton of time working on myself and learning from others. I mean, mentors are huge. You can't see, but my office is lined with books. I read 10 pages every single day. You know, I journal, I meditate. I mean, those things are all really, really important to me. And I learn through those things and my experience is what I feel like one of my strengths is I can bring to the table. So if I'm talking to a 40 year old successful family, I can, I already know what the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, not because I've right. lived it, but because I've worked with somebody in all those decades, I know what they think. I know what they see. I know what they they're scared of. I know what they're excited about. I know what they want to do. And I'm able to take that information and then apply it to a 50 year old, a 40 year old, a 30 year old, whatever it is. Let's see. I love, I love your outlook on it because you like, again, I go back to that. You, you take the opportunity, you use the struggle that you had to, to an, an advantage. Well, most people, if they're in your position, if they're just these cocky, you know, wolf of wall street level dickheads, you want, right. you, you're, you're not going to be honest with them. You're not going to be open. You're not going to feel like you can trust them. And I think that's the difference. So when it comes down to your success in that business, how the absolute heck did you go I'm run a podcast? How'd I go start a podcast? I was, uh, yeah, what was that about? Well, so I listened to podcasts and, uh, this right. is where my, maybe some would call it an ego. Uh, there's a, there's a fine line between confidence and cocky. Right. And I, I, I want to mm-hmm. be confident and I would sit there and listen to some podcast folks that I liked the guests they got, but they hadn't really done much yet, um, professionally, but yet they were building this massive awareness and impact for people. And I thought that's cool. But I could do that and I can use my, at that time, I guess, 16 years, 14, 15 years experience. Um, and, you know, some what I, again, I don't look at myself and say, oh, I'm this massive success. I, I don't look at myself that way at all. Um, but I'm like, I could do that. And then, you know, you throw a bottle of uh, red wine down and uh, on a Tuesday night before Christmas and you're like, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a nice crew of people that I know that are successful and whether it's authors mm-hmm. or professional athletes and, you know, you get a little courage in you after the red wine and you, uh, yeah. you send a text and say, Hey buddy, you want to come on this uh, podcast? I'm going to start. And then they all start responding. Yes. Uh, do you want to do it next week or the week after new year's? And I'm like, Oh crap. Uh, you oh, know what? No. <laughs> I said, it's the holidays. Let's push this off until the end of January and we'll connect and, you know, and then, so then I'm like, shit, now I got to do something about it. So then I would stay up when right. I should be sleeping and watch like, you know, 9 million hours of YouTube videos on how to do a podcast. And, 
And that's it. And that's how I started it. And I'm like, I could do this and let's go have some fun with it. And I asked some buddies at a Christmas party. I said, do you think this is dumb? Like, you think people would really listen to this? And like, you should totally do it. So I did it. And now here we are, 235 episodes later, you know, four and a half years. It's been phenomenal. It's impressive. Honestly, when um, I found out about your podcast and I started listening to them, what I really liked about them was the candid conversation and the open and honesty. Many podcasts I find are very structured and it's quite difficult to get a flow with people I find with that. And you can do one or two things, I find at least, and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, you can have a very structured one or you can have a bit of a flow to it. Those ones with the flow seem to be more successful. I mean, you don't just get to 200 episodes. You, d- I know what it's like to book people. It is yeah. painful. It is so painful because they want to know your numbers. They want to know how many guests have you had on, who have you had on. And if they don't, if you don't hold up to their standard, they're not going to take the time for you, period. They're just yeah. not. Yeah, no, and- you're right. And, and it's funny is I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't track my numbers. I don't care. If, if two people listen to it, great. That's two more people than I thought were going to listen to it. You know, right. So it's like, I have nothing to lose, but yet I know whether it's the direct messages I get or the emails I get, or, you know, seeing somebody at lunch today coming up to me and asking me questions about it. Like I know it's making an impact. So again, it, it could be literally, I have no idea. It could be a million people listening to it or, or one. And I don't know because, you know, I look every now and then, but I just, I don't, it's not why I do it. That's, I think that's the difference between you and many people that have started podcasts. I mean, we started one last year and I mean, we're, we're not even scratching the service to the level amount of cu- um, customers. Oh my God. I'm so business mindset right now. Um, <laughs> we're not even close to the amount of, uh, you know, guests that we've had as you, but what I have learned from watching your podcast is I've learned a lot. I've educated myself a lot and in, in, in topics and ways that I, there's no, there's no other rhyme or reason that I would have listened to anything. Do you know what I mean? Like different, yeah. different areas of expertise, different lifestyles, different uh, business ideas. There's so much that comes out of your conversations and you bring so much to the table. And when you say, I'm not this big successful guy, tell me, okay, Brett, what's your definition of success? Uh, I love that question. And I ask that sometimes too, is my, my definition of success is that you are happy, you know? And when I was 23 years old and you got to think too, when you've grown up in a business around money, all we do is talk about money literally every day. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, my wife and I have a foundation for cancer that we've had for 14 years. So I'm either asking to invest people's money or help us cure cancer. So I'm always talking about money, right? What's that? uh, What's the charity? Swing for hope, F O R E, like golf. You would scream for when you're golfing. So swingforhope.org is our website. I love that. And uh it's just it's a you can see the whole story there. It's it's a huge passion of ours. Amazing. And uh, but I but I think you know to your question is how do you define success? Is I, I want to make an impact on my family, I want to make an impact on our clients, on our community. Um, you know, it's like I just I don't know. I mean, do I want to make money? Yeah, of course I want to make a lot of money, but I I also but I, but I, I think you can make a lot of money and be a jackass and, and not oh, yeah. give back to people <laughs> yeah. and not be around your family. I mean, I don't, I don't want to wake up and, and have a wife and four kids that don't know who their dad or husband is. And I, I've done right. that since day one. I, I've never worked a weekend. I don't miss dinners. I don't miss sports at night. I mean, I don't, I don't do that. And, and could you make more money by doing that? Yeah, sure. But that doesn't mean you're successful. Um, and so right. success to me is being able to do what you want, when you want, without the worry. 
And, uh, okay, so, and then, so, so then let's back this up and correct yourself then. So do you consider yourself successful then, Brett? Yes. <laughs> so then you, you have a lot yeah. to say, and then that's yeah. why your people listen to you. Yeah. But I, but again, I think, and maybe this because the, the industry I've grown up in is I, I look at success differently than I think a lot of people in the outside world look at it is mm -hmm. purely one measurement. And while I've been blessed there, I, I, I look at it in so many other ways than just there. That's what I mean. That's why I say when you say it made, it made me sad there for a moment when you're like, why would people listen to me? I'm not like, you know, success. It's like, that's so far from the truth though. You're incredibly successful. You have a lot to give. You have a lot of knowledge to share. You're incredibly successful in your family, in your home front, in your business front, in your charitable side. You are incredibly successful. That's why people listen to you. So don't, don't you discount yourself again or I'll have to well, I'll call you anytime I need some, a little pick me up or then I'll, you'll be my go-to and you can tell me how successful I am. <laughs> Listen, but I don't you think no that also matters that. though and like makes people successful as well in more ways than one when you I mean if you walked around and like oh I'm the man I'm successful I'm this don't I mean I don't think you'll be successful if that's the way you are well I feel like if you're talking genuinely like that, successful you're just, well that's exactly it it's like what's to define the success to me it's not having a billion dollars in the bank I couldn't care less if my bills are paid I have food on the table and a roof over my head that's success you've you've done it if you, if you have to own your own home, I'm very fortunate. I'm one of the rare ones in British Columbia at my age that actually can afford my own home in this ridiculously expensive province. I, I'm very fortunate. I never thought for a single second I would own my own home living in the place that I live. That to me is success. The success of my child's health, that is success. If he's healthy, he's fed he's a happy boy and he's not a dickhead to kids at school. That's successful. That <laughs> right. it doesn't need to be more difficult than that. So when you say success, people often think when it comes from you, it means, it means money. And I, I think that's so far from the truth. You've been successful in dealing with your mental health, even though that's an ongoing thing, you've been successful in finding the right tools to deal with that. You've been successful in having a long marriage, a healthy marriage, a communicative marriage, having a support system, You've been successful in having healthy children who have now seen two parents that love each other be successful by literally communicating enough through the struggle. To me, you've been successful in more ways than you can imagine. And I think it's important for you to get that in your head because you do bring a lot more to the table than just money. You bring a lot more to the table than just sports and having these incredible guests. You bring a lot to this world. You're what I like to call a value add in the world. And not a lot of people are. Frankly, not a lot of people are, and I'm very okay saying that. There are people walking around in this world that are barely walking around in this world with blinders on, have no goddamn clue what's going on. And they count themselves as successful because they have like six Maseratis and like seven right. houses and a bunch of diamonds and like some people's threw diamonds under their foreheads like idiots. But right. that's not success to me. There's nothing about that that's successful. That sounds depressing. That sounds sad. That sounds like you're filling your life with stuff because you don't know how to be okay with yourself and you don't know how to be with yourself without having a million people around you telling you that you're this dope dude. It's like, no, yeah. you're not. You're a waste of time and a waste of space. And if you only just took a second to look outside yourself, you would see how unsuccessful you truly are. So well, I love that. Well, thank you very much. No, it's, hey, I, there are so many people, the divorce rate in the United States is, is frankly, is very high and it's very it's sad. I understand it is so bad. So 
to me, even if you were to look at your life in a bubble and you were to say, I have been married for 23 years or 20 years, that right there, that's it. Yep. That's success because you've yeah. created a generation that understands but your, that. Your upbringing too. We're both blessed with my parents have been married 50 plus years. My wife's parents, yeah. I mean, there's a hundred years of marriage between the two of them, you know, I and mean, that's a long time and that's not yeah. normal. So I appreciate no, no. So I signed a deal yesterday to, to, I haven't, I've only told this to three people. Uh, I, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a book and uh, it's going to come out and uh, she's going so, but, but you have that self-defeating thing again of like, who the heck's going to read your book, dude? And uh, it comes out oh. in January. I don't even know the name of it yet. I think I do, but I don't know the name. So we'll see. You're going to come on and talk to us about it, right? Amen. I'll, I'll talk to anybody um, about it. Oh my God. Yes. Because the, listen, you have so much to give. I'm surprised you don't have a book yet. Uh, well, we're working on it. We're working on it. Well, listen, I said the same thing when I had a publisher come to me. Will you write a book? And I go, why? Yeah. Why? What for? I, I have nothing to say. I'm in the same position as many other veterans. I'm, I, the, no, like I don't have anything to say. You have something to say. No, I don't. But that's, again, that self-defeating thought. Yep. And that's when you look at that little thing in the face and you either, you either, lack of a better term, you make it your bitch or you let it control your life. And I think that is the difference between people like you and I and people that are just walking around with blinders. Your book is going to bring nothing but hope to people. You know that, right? Yeah, that that's that's my hope as well. It's my hope that it brings nothing but hope. Yes. It will. And I have a feeling that there's going to be a donation component if I'm not mistaken. I'm just throwing it out there because I know if I for what I know of you, I feel like there's not that's not gonna be uh the type of book that's there to line Brett's pockets if I'm not, if I'm wrong. Well, look, me. I mean at the end of the day, if if I'm thinking I'm gonna go write this book to make, you know, tons and tons and tons of money, I'm sadly mistaken. So I'm not I mean about like the podcast, right? It's a lost leader for the impact that I get to have not only on myself, but on other people. And that's what I want to do with the book. And by no means am I going in thinking I'm going to make a ton of money off of a book. No, but I think that you're coming into it. And the reason here's why, okay, here's the difference. Here's why you will end up making a ton of money off the book. It's because okay. you're going into it, the mindset that you're going into to help people. You're not going yeah. into it to line your pockets. That's why, my dear, that thing will be a New York Times bestseller. I like it. I hope you're right. I know I'm right. I don't, I don't throw, <laughs> I don't throw words. Do you think I just talk in my ass? I don't no, have time for that. I believe, you. I believe you. Yeah, well, it will. You manifest the hell out of that. I'll bet you that thing will come out. All you need is 20,000 copies sold in, in one week, baby. That's a New York oh, Times bestseller. That's it, huh? You got it's enough maybe, friends. It's my, that's the entire size of my hometown I grew up in. Yeah, well, at least your hometown was that. I had one stoplight in a graduating high school class of 100, so don't even go there with me. <laughs> don't even go there with me. The cows were my friends, the trees I spoke to and hugged, and then the wolves came out at night. That's where that's I lived. Right. So don't even start with me. I am... True, like okay, so let's let's stop for a second because I think there is something really important I wanna I just wanna put out there. I, I've told you how great I think you are, but I think there is more to it than that. There's a big impact happening. Podcasting has become like everybody has podcasts, it feels like, right? Everybody has uh, something to talk about, or they think correction, they all think they have something important to talk about. Here's the difference between your podcast, the circuit of success, and those podcasts. You add value, you add value in education. 
you add value in finance education, you add value in marriage education, and you add value in life schooling. And I think there is only coming to be, there's only going to be success coming for you, whether it's just through that book, through that podcast, but somebody is going to see it. Somebody's going to hear it. And it's not only going to change or save their lives. It's going to impact them in a way that you will not know until later on when they call you and be like, Hey, you don't know me, but I was X, Y, and Z. I heard this episode and you changed the way I thought about the world. You changed the way I looked at the world. You changed the way I perceive and understand. And I'm able to now go into a meeting without throwing up. I'm able to now go into a meeting without having that stress and that anxiety. And it could be, Hey, I learned the gum trick. Hey, I learned the water trick. Hey, I started, I started manifesting by journaling, or I started meditating. You are the type of man I would not have expected to have had any anxiety and depression. And because you opened up about it, you're going to change people's perspective on people like you. And I think people like you are perceived to be successful because you're financially stable. But people like you are really the reason that we're going to have a successful education and childhood coming upwards. It's because you're putting out into the world the truth and the honesty that most people in your position, there would be no need to. What do you need to, what do you need to talk to your anxiety about your anxiety for? I mean, you're, you're, you're doing well, you know, financially you're, you're set. You've got a, a loving and happy family. What, what, you know, benefit does it bring to the world to talk about that in most people's eyes? And I'll tell you the benefit is you are going to help people. You are going to touch people in a way that you, you have no clue. And it's going to happen in 20 years. You're going to get random phone calls. What about your book? I met you at a Barnes and Noble and you just for one second took the time to talk to me about something. And I'm telling you, Brett, you have got nothing but huge, huge, huge success coming your way. Honestly, you really do. Well, I'm very thankful to hear that. I, I it's, uh, it's weird to hear, but I'm very thankful that you say that. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And, and it's only going to get weirder. So just get comfortable <laughs> with it because I'm telling you right now, yeah. things get weird real quick when you start putting your, your life story out there or your struggles out yeah. there. People yeah. start calling and it gets uncomfortable real fast. But you'll learn. You'll learn just like you learn to cope with your anxiety. You'll That's learn that. how to cope with that. Right. Well, I just figure if I if I dealt with this and I've learned how to somewhat get through it, man, it's a shame on me to it's selfish to not share that. To your point, it's not easy. I don't have to, but I want to because it's uh like I said, it's selfish if you don't try to help somebody else. It's it's not good because it's it's not fun. It's not fun dealing with that stuff. No, it's not. And you could have just hidden it from everybody else and gave off this Instagram perception that you are living the life. You don't struggle. And that's the difference between our society now and say 20 years ago is we didn't have people like you that were willing to have these honest conversations. We were only had these, you know, when you see somebody on the news, oh, that's this big successful person, but you really don't know what's going on in the back end of their lives. Right. Exactly and that's right. now just a version of social media. So that's I right. mean- I'm really just grateful for your time. I'm, I'm super stoked uh, about this book. I can't wait for this book to come out. I want to have you back on to talk about this book. I, I, honestly, you got to do the audio book though. You have I to will. do it. I'm going to do it in my voice. That's, that's the goal. Yeah, because you can't, it's not the same when it's not the author, no. man. I agree. I don't I actually won't even listen to it if it's not the author. Right? See? Thank you. I, I agree. Yeah. I had a... I had an awesome guest on recently uh, named Dean Stott, and um, he he actually is uh, SBS like super gnarly, um, you know, uh, special forces guy. But he also rode the Pan America Highway on a road bike, and he beat the the world record by like some like eighteen days. 
Wow. Like, it's like, well, you can't cut it off by like a couple of days. You just got to crush everybody else's soul right. and hope to ever kind of do it. My God. But he did it in his voice. And he's British and he's from, I think he's from Wales. Sorry if I mess that up, Dean. Um, but he's got, it, it brings so much strength and um, it, it holds so much more weight when somebody records their own audiobook. And that's just my perception. I 100% agree with that. For Listen, sure. Brett, I know I've, I've held you for a long enough, but is there anything else that I've missed that we need to talk about that our listeners need to know more about you? No, I just, I think that it's uh it is, it's a daily thing. And I always say this to people and it kind of hits home is it doesn't mean you brush your teeth 14 times on Sunday. You do it twice a day mm-hmm. and it's a daily grind. It's not a, Oh, I'll work on it next week or the week after, and then it'll all be good. No, I mean, it's, it's every day. It's twice a day. Right. And I think you got to have your, in my opinion, you have your trusty black journal here that I've got and um, you write down and I'm not like writing down about my whole day, but it's just about, you know, things, strategic think time, as I call it, what I, what I want to do. And, and, and I think that's so important to be, have crystal clear where you want to go personally, professionally, financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, intellectually, all those things. I have those thoughts in my mind and the clearer I can be when you know your why anyhow is possible. We've all probably heard that, but when you know why, then it makes it easier to get up in the morning and go attack the day. So that's all I would say. You can find me on LinkedIn or Instagram at Brett G Gilliland. And I'm sure you'll put some of that in the show notes. I'm happy to always connect with people and, and always uh, thankful for people like you because you're crushing it as well and doing amazing things. So I'm thankful for people like you in my life. Well, baby steps, baby, baby steps. That's all we can do. And that's all we can ask of you. Listen, Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to ask you to hang on real quick while I exit out here, everyone. Make sure you take a lick, uh, a lick, Jesus Christ. Don't lick Brett. Don't lick (laughs) Brett, people. Take a look at Brett's information. Get onto his podcast of the Circuit of Success. If you are looking for any financial advice, please do yourself a favor and run over to Brett. He is the CEO, the co-founder of Vision Wealth Advisors. And again, the host of the Circuit of Success podcast. Thank you so much, Brett, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome.